Hello and welcome to episode 14 of What's on the Pile. Joining me tonight is Jenner. Hello. Shane Lee. Yeah. And Jane Belcastro. Hi, hi. This week we've got a Studio Ghibli slash Hayao Miyazaki double feature with the cast with Cath Castle in the Sky, yeah. a sort of skybound nautical adventure film with airships and excitement, followed by Spirited Away, an, an adventure of another kind as a little girl becomes trapped in the spirit realm and she must navigate her way back out. Both were written and directed by the brilliant Hayao Miyazaki, and uh, I've seen most of his work, but I hadn't seen Castle in the Sky. Uh, that one just slipped under my radar for a long time. Um, who who else had uh, either of these on their piles? Let's start with uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what, I was gonna say I, was, I had both. No, no, I was gonna say let's start with Jane. I had not watched either of them. Um, I was extremely well. I had been waiting for Spirited Away. We just kept saying, "I've got to see it. I've got to see it." Never getting to it, but this was the day we did, and I was blown away. And then um, Castle in the Sky never even heard of it and uh, again blown away so i think we probably would have gotten to uh i i can't call it castle in the sky i know the uh, the cultural <laughs> reference is problematic i have to call it laputa uh but uh, <laughs> uh uh that was one that we probably would have gotten to sooner if you had liked nausicaa of the valley of the wind better well okay <laughs> i mean uh, I think they're completely different movies, and it, you know you can try and punish me for not liking something you do, but you know. But that, that's that's not what that was. That's not oh, what okay. that was. It's just okay. Uh, you you know I think chronologically, uh, and and that would have been next if we were going chronologically. Yeah, I'm sorry, I just didn't care for Nausicaa, but that was years ago. So it was a while ago. I don't know. <laughs> Still need, like to get, still need to get back to uh, uh, Porco Rosso and, uh, and a bunch of the rest of that, but yeah. Oh, I love Porco Rosso. So good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're doing that one tomorrow. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> but, but now, let's talk about Castle in the Sky. Yay. <laughs> Shane, uh, yep. you want to... You want to say anything about this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot to say, but I will, I will say that Castle in the Sky is my all-time favorite Ghibli film. Um, I don't know if I would say it's his best necessarily, but it's definitely my favorite. I'll, let me give you just a little bit of background. I first got into anime like late 90s, mid late 90s, and I was more like interested in the idea of anime than I was really into it. Because back then, all you could really get was stuff at Blockbuster, and it was like y Devil Hunter Yoko or like Ninja Scroll, just stuff with lots of sex and violence. I know people like Ninja Scroll, but I wasn't into it. Uh, it wasn't until... I got to college and joined the anime club. It was the, the founding year of the club, and the president was willing to just lend people stuff. So I just said, give me something good. Uh, he's hand me this tape. I had never heard of Miyazaki or Laputa or, or anything like that, and I just watched it and was completely blown away. I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, I mean, to, to this day, it's it's still my favorite. Uh, even rewatching it, it's, I, I still love it. And, you know, I could maybe concede that Spirited Away is higher on the sort of pantheon of, of Miyazaki films, but I just I just love Castle in the Sky or Laputa Castle in the Sky. <laughs> oh, uh, one other thing. I have so I have a, I, I own a DVD of this movie, which I've watched only once. It's pristine, it's unscratched. It took me four different players to try and play it and none of them would play it without skipping. Also it has an intro with John it has an intro by John Lasseter. Uh as oh, is, that that was the uh, original US DVD release. I actually have that yeah. as well. Yeah. I, for my part, have not had any problems with that one. 
yeah as the my spirited away dvd also has an intro by john lasseter which is unfortunate but he uh i guess he was instrumental in bringing those movies over anyways i ended up having to buy the film because i could not get my dvd to play amazon sells the japanese track and the english track separately at full price uh, which sucks because <laughs> wow. you know if i'm gonna own this movie i'm gonna buy the japanese language track but i also know that the english track has cloris leachman as uh Dola or the you know the Dola, the, the yeah. mama and then Mark Hamill as Muska, so I yep. would have at least liked to hear that. But you know I just bought the language the Japanese language track, so I didn't get to hear uh, those two actors do their dub. We uh, we actually did watch the dub because we watched it with the kids who who loved it, um, and the dub cast is very good. Uh, Mark Hamill is good as always. He almost breaks into a joker laugh at one point which is pretty funny okay now but... we need to hear that one uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well um, no we, we did observe what a wonderful uh, villainous laugh muska had even in the japanese version when we were seeing it earlier and i haven't seen the japanese version which now i need to do yeah Curious thing about the dubbed version of, uh, of Laputa, as I understand it, uh, I mean, aside from the fact that there was a much earlier dub done by Streamline Pictures that never actually made it uh, to video, uh, although I uh, found a copy in a, uh, a Japanese rental joint once, um, uh, pretty good dub in its own right, uh, uh, lacks the uh, sort of star power of the, uh, of the English language, or uh, the later dub, but that was one of the ones, rather like Kiki's Delivery Service, that got rather radically re-edited uh, when it went from being a Disney property uh, to, uh, or, uh, I guess, a G-Kids uh, property, uh, so I am curious to actually compare those at this point. Of course, I haven't actually gotten the more recent releases of, uh, of Kiki's Delivery Service and Lapita, so I've got some more work to do there. Uh, I know I have the Ghibli box set. How does that figure in? The Blu-rays? Uh, that's going to be in the newer version, I think. Hmm. Yeah, if it was uh, if it was G-Kids, uh, that's that's probably how that... If you didn't have the John Lasseter introduction, then uh, then uh, you, got, you have the more recent version. I've, I've to be since I've been watching them on HBO Max. I'd, I'm not sure if I have a John Lasseter introduction or not. Fair enough. I hope not. <laughs> eh, it's it's an historical curiosity at this point, like you know anything else. I mean, as goes that line that we keep coming back to uh, over and over again: your fave is problematic. Your fave <laughs> is problematic. <laughs> I, I will say there was one one bad miscast in the whole thing, and that's James Vanderbeek as uh, Patsu. It was just, yeah, awful choice. He's so whiny and terrible, and like the antithesis of what that character is doing on screen. Like he's like an adventure kid, and uh, James Vanderbeek is definitely not. Yeah, the last the last word I would use to describe Patsu is whiny. He's a badass I mean, he he's, is he's... i thought those are the words i used exactly yeah no the kid was just completely indefatigable i mean to a point that i had frankly forgotten and which was you know refreshing to uh uh see this uh, on this viewing the kid's a freaking cannonball he's you know absolutely def indefatigable he never doubts for a second uh that you know what he's doing the well okay the one time he doubts uh, for, uh, for a second uh is of course where he gets the uh, the three pieces of gold for effing off but um <laughs> Uh, but aside from that, uh, you know, he just, you know, he goes, you know, right back. He's like, okay, who can get me there? The pirates? Okay, I'm a pirate now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's one of my favorite uh, Ghibli heroes. <laughs> so it is pronounced Ghibli. I, I've always said Ghibli 
I've always heard it Ghibli. Uh, That said, I'm not sure if I'm hearing it from people who are any more correct than anything else. uh, Say it as you feel. I have no definitive answer on that one. I'm pretty sure the Katakana says Ghibli on the logo. Ghibli, Uh, okay. Or or at least I think when we went to the Ghibli Museum, or we walked by, did we go into the Ghibli Museum in Japan? No, it was packed. We couldn't get in. I think I I started saying Ghibli when I saw the Katakana, but I could be remembering wrong, but I'm not sure. I'm going to try to correct myself then. I always like to say it the way it's supposed to be said. I mean, I found I, I once found a, a Japanese art book for all the Final Fantasy games and saw the katakanas of the actual character names, and that changed my perception of how you say a lot of those names forever. Example. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Final Fantasy X, the, the, uh, the protagonist is Titus, not Titus. Um, <laughs> in Final Fantasy VI, the, uh, the samurai warrior guy is Cayenne, not Cyan. <laughs> oh. Yeah, those are surprising. <laughs> like the pepper instead of the color. That's yeah. fascinating. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I remember being bothered by the pronunciation of Titus. I just, I can't yeah, it do sounds, it. It sounds <laughs> stupid. I mean, it's a water-based game. Titus would be, per- would be perfect. Like, he's a, he's a, he plays a water sport. Well, that came out wrong. He plays, you know, <laughs> he plays Blitzball, which takes place underwater. <laughs> oh, uh, I love the design of the robot. That oh, yeah. that design, uh, this kind of industrial, almost bird-like with the wings and and bone-like in structure. That's I, the I, I didn't like it because I thought it looked like it had tapeworms for arms. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly why I liked it. <laughs> it it's it, the the design in this movie is just. I think it's. Uh, I, I'm I'm probably not the first person to say this, but I had not realized. Uh, because it has been a while since I saw this, uh, how, what a seminal early text in the steampunk movement this film has absolutely got to be. Uh, yeah. So the uh, uh, and the the, uh, the robots were sort of uh, a a wonderful example of that. They were, you know, weirdly multifunctional in a way that you know is utterly unlike what you know our society thinks that robots should generally look like. Uh, but at the same time, they were very practical for their specific purposes. Yeah, and I love the flying machines with their, you know, I made a note that they were insect-like wings. And then I, this is my first time noticing, at the very end, they all joined together like an actual, mm-hmm. like insect segments, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. I like that too. But when they were dropped, when the, the bigger robots were dropping out of the bottom of Laputa, they looked like like eggs falling out. It just was so insectile. Yeah. That disgusted me, and I I think that's okay, honestly, to have that feeling. I don't think that the artist would have been like, "Yeah, no, we wanted you to think it was cool." <laughs> yeah. There was supposed to be a certain measure of squick there. I think there was. I oh. thought that's a, that's what I thought too. I mean, I was just a little squicked. I don't. I just kind of was like, ew. They were all kind of folded up with their. I don't know. They looked like like larvae. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, another design element I really liked was the opening credits. Uh, yes, my, uh, yes, yes, my yes, wife yes. Jess made a uh, made a uh, comment about this on our watch, and um, they are beautiful engraving style opening credits. Very it's, gorgeous. It's also my favorite movie theme song of all time. As soon as I popped in the DVD, that that song started playing, and I think I I own a probably a bootleg. I can't remember if it's a bootleg or not, but I own a. A, a copy of that soundtrack uh and i just i love that theme song it's absolutely beautiful and it comes back several times throughout the movie 
The score itself uh, was, uh, I mean, obviously it was one of uh, Hisaishi's uh, earlier works uh, for, for Ghibli. I love that, uh, that uh, of course, you know, they stuck with each other, you know, through thick and thin. Um, but, uh, yeah, that opening music, the way it's sort of muted at the very beginning and then just, you know, kind of swells in the orchestra, I thought was uh, wonderful. The score itself, I think, is sort of an interesting mix of orchestral and very, very 80s-ish uh, synthy uh, stuff in a way that uh, I know that Hisaishi kind of tended to get away from later on, but which reappeared every so often in some of his later works. But uh, it's still, it's still just a beautiful soundtrack. Oh, so I looked up, I didn't realize this, but this was the first Studio Ghibli film. Nausicaa was not Ghibli. I don't know oh. what that was made under. I mean, it was, I mean, it was Miyazaki, obviously, but this was their first film. And uh, I think... I can't think of a Ghibli film that has a larger body count than this movie. I was surprised. <laughs> at, I, could, I didn't remember there was this violent, not like violent, but you know, so many people get killed at the end, just dropped out of the sky or just murdered by murder bots. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about that as well as uh, the the line that leads right into it. The one of the all time great villain lines, uh, in which I, I'm going to start using everywhere now that I, I remember it, which is, "I'm sick of your stupid face." <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> and then he drops a bunch of guys three miles out of the uh, into the ocean. Yeah, uh, that was that was a pretty surprising moment. Definitely. Uh... Uh, not not entirely a children's film. It's more a film for everybody. Yeah, wall to wall <laughs> guns. I mean, Pazu gets shot. He gets a bullet grazes his cheek. He gets shot. Yeah. He gets shot in his goggles. Um, that's a tough ass kid. Wasn't that Dola that got shot in the goggles? I thought that was Mama Dola. Well, at the end, uh, Muska shoots Pazu through the hole in the wall when she, after she oh, a hands yeah, the yeah, general. Oh, right, 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 right. Sorry. I think I mean Dola <laughs> probably does too. I know she gets smashed mm-hmm. in the face. That's with at the, the beginning. The brick, yeah. Mm-hmm. The amazing thing about this movie and about, I think, a lot of the Ghibli films is the way that it manages to stay fundamentally very lighthearted, even as it's A, ripping your heart out, and and B, engaging in a tremendous amount of violence. Uh, (laughs) This is some of the jauntiest dudes messing each other up uh, uh, entertainment uh, that uh, I've seen in a very long time. It's been long enough that it feels almost like a first... uh, a first watching again. Uh, I had forgotten a lot of this picture, um, but I mean, sure. like, uh, like the swole off in the street between yes. uh, uh, between the yeah. pirate and uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the mine boss. I kind of loved also that uh, everybody in Pazu's uh, neighborhood or or city knew him. And they instantly leapt to his aid. They didn't ask, you know, what? Don't be ridiculous. He's well-dressed. Nothing like that. It's like, you know, those guys, they're pirates. Okay, let's mess them up. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of the uh, shirt tear apart uh, segment of the film, um, I really liked how expressive it was. It's it's something Miyazaki does a lot, uh, usually with emotion, but uh, I guess anger is an emotion. And... um, he, he his characters become really expressive in that emotion like they like uh when they get a tingle that it goes all the way up their bodies like shaking uh lines um uh-huh. when uh in in spirited away uh um is it i, I don't remember if it's zeniba or yababa who uh whose hair is just going crazy and enveloping uh sen um 
that kind of expressive animation, but <laughs> done with the guys with their shirts ripping off was very funny to me. Because it's <laughs> there's that expressive, beautiful animation, but it's two guys whose shirts are literally getting ripped off by their muscles by sheer will of force. And I kept thinking, uh, Hulk, you just ripped your shirt. And then what did the wife say? You know, oh, yeah. Hey, don't rip your shirt. I'm going to have to mend that later. So, <laughs> I guess it's just, hey, it's universal. The, this uh, the, this retained a lot of the uh, I mean, the, the story element are, uh, are, of this picture, I think, are call, harken back to the seriousness of uh, a lot of Nausicaa, which was these forces, not necessarily... It, it, not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, well, the, the things we would call proto-Ghibli movies. A lot of this movie feels kind of like a hybrid of the two immediately preceding proto-Ghibli pictures, which were Nausicaa and The Castle of Cagliostro. Uh, particularly the swole off there made me think a lot more of, uh, of uh, like, the Lupin the Third style of sort of broad, uh, over-the-top uh, comic mayhem. <laughs> You know, did, or, or like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, did, did anyone else get um, like a Fratelli's vibe from Dola and her sons? Yes. <laughs> I, also, uh, Ma Beagle. Yeah, because I looked up, the Goonies came out the year before this, so I don't know if there was some kind of influence there, but she felt very Mama Fratelli, and, and her, her sons were not quite, a, well, I don't, I don't know, they weren't quite as evil as the, the Fratelli brothers, but I sort of got that feeling. Yeah, the, the, the Dola boys just wanted to make their mama happy. And hit on a thirteen. Ain't nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. That that was kind of gross. I'll admit that. That was yeah yeah. That was one of the creepier elements of the film. She's gonna grow up to be just like Mama. But it it was cute at the same time, but so young and I guess. uh, Well, they they remained fundamentally respectful of her. They just you know they they just kind of wanted to. You know, get in the door. I guess uh, <laughs> they just wanted to impress her. Okay, but that's it, it's kind of defi- gross too because that's grooming. I don't know. Anyway, she had been doing everything. It, it's definitely so. the sort of thing that would get a rewrite if they did it at this point, or at least that we hope it would. But uh, at, at the time, it, it uh, or for the time, it still feels fairly innocent. I think. I think we can probably give it a pass on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, may, may, maybe when you saw it, you should have turned to your kids. It's like, this is not the way to get close to a girl you like. <laughs> 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 Worth noting. <laughs> you know, so what I remembered about the film was sort of this this big epic adventure. But the vibe that I got this time that I never picked up on before during a lot of the action scenes was sort of Indiana Jones. Yes. The, uh, the set oh, pieces. Yes. Yeah, just the whole, I mean, what... Going back to what Jenner said about the whole jauntiness of it, the you know these big action, these big violent action scenes, but just little bits of humor, like a guy getting a shovel in the face or something while trying to climb over a, a train cart or something like that. that. That stuff was all over, especially you know during the the, the chase in the beginning on the train tracks. Well, I mean, oh, yeah, a definitely. lot of the movie is basically a serially extended cliffhanger. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, to, I mean to say nothing of like I. I uh, Pazu spends something like 15 minutes of the last half an hour of the film just hanging from roots on the underside of a floating city. Uh, kids, <laughs> See, that's ten- what, kids, tenacious. <laughs> that's what I was saying. I was thinking, gosh, these uh, two young heroes are young. And then after, you know, like 15 minutes straight of this kid hanging from things and being shot at and climbing things and, and everything, I'm like, you know, they had to be young <laughs> <They> had <laughs> to have that kind of resilience. Oh, my 
my gosh, I, that stamina. I, Would have I, needed I, a nap after the after the first half an hour. Not the first half hour of the movie, but the first half hour of the events of the movie. As you recall, <laughs> I actually did need a nap just watching it. Do you remember? Uh, we, had, we had to stop last night so we got, could finish it today. Got yeah, you, got you tired all over. <laughs> got me tired all over. Speaking of the uh, hanging from vines uh, uh, ending there with Patsu, um, this is the first animated film that ever triggered my vertigo. Really? <laughs> it it, it yeah. was bothering me a, a I little bit. I can absolutely too. see that. Uh, it, it's only yeah. because the characters themselves are not afraid of heights that it didn't kick in my fear of heights. This movie <laughs> would be nightmare fuel if it was uh, if if it was somehow redone in 3D. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I could not handle that. Are you feeling uh, better now? In any case. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah 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 okay, yeah. okay good no it's fine <laughs> it's not that bad i no, didn't no, pass out I, or anything I, I was being a little facetious there okay <laughs> i i love the uh i i always love the military industrial complex as a villain in a film <laughs> and boy did they deliver in this one yes they did the greed and violence and trying to hurt children and kidnapping yeah Making what ultimately happened to pretty much all of them a rather wonderful petard hoist, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> they had, uh, who, uh, how was the, I, I'd like to see it again, because uh, the general in in the dub is played by, uh, oh God, Jim Cumming. Oh. And um, yeah, and he does his Jim Cumming uh, gruff voice like he does in Aladdin, and um all I could think of was Aladdin. It's all I could think of every time he was on screen. And <laughs> maybe took I, you out of the movie a little bit there. Just a little, just a little bit, just a little bit. No, the, uh, the general, uh, the general in the Japanese version was one of those relatively broadly delivered officious, uh, louts uh, uh of the sort uh, realistically uh, particularly around this time miyazaki did rather a lot of uh, there are a number of you know fairly direct analogs in uh, in uh, nausicaa's it's the ones who make uh, zenigata look relaxed <laughs> i'd be curious as to what cloris leachman was like because uh the, the japanese dola was sort of like a like a, a sort of a witchy voice the sort of gnarled like gruff almost masculine kind of voice uh, she was, I mean, it was Cloris Leachman, so it's, it sounds like Cloris Leachman, but, uh, she was kind of in a way at certain points, almost, uh, motherly and, and, uh, and then in others, she would, she would be very gruff, but not, not like a deep man's voice or anything like that. Um, but I, I would say she was more motherly than anything. Okay. Cause I, I think even when she was motherly in the Japanese, she still so, sounded a little bit witchy, at least to me. Had a little Mercedes McCambridge quality in there. Just a little. Just a touch. <laughs> you know, like, you know, she used to smoke a lot, but she stopped a while back. <laughs> of course, you could say yeah. the same thing about Cloris Leachman. I, I know we're talking about her voice. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But anyway, I, I know we were talking about her voice, but, you know, I just, I loved, you know, that, well, she was kind of a butterface because... She had a rockin' body in this old lady face. I mean, am I wrong? No, she was oh, built. She, she yeah. built like a brick house, I'm telling yep. you. So. She almost suffocated Shita while hugging her at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, during the ending, when the castle's falling apart, I noticed something. So I'm watching the Amazon HD uh, version, 
And the castle falling apart, the animation was so intricate that the compression couldn't keep up and it was getting pixelated, which I've never seen in an animated film before. It was like, if you're ever watching a live feed of like a, like a sports championship match or like the Super Bowl, where they drop confetti and then everything gets pixelated because there's just too much information for the camera to pick up. That actually happened uh, during the climax of this movie for me. I was surprised. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, they, there was that many objects being animated at once on the screen, which is pretty impressive. That's really impressive. As uh, as uh, as good a case uh, uh, or as any uh, to uh, to uh, recall, you know, hashtag save physical media. <laughs> and, and this is Ghibli's first film too. And I saw like one thing that um, Ghibli does really well is these tiny little touches they don't need to do in their animation. Uh, like when like at the very beginning when when uh, is about to catch Shita when she's floating down, he notices he has a pail in his hand. So then he puts down the pail and then raises his arms again. He didn't, they didn't need to do that. They could have had him just put the pail down and catch him or catch her and then nothing would have been different. But those tiny little touches or like when he takes off his vest and puts it on her and then he has a different outfit now for the rest of the scene, which, you know, is more, is just more work for them to animate. Uh, Ghibli does this a lot and I, I just kind of noticed it in this one and this is their first film. So it's just something really cool that carries through in all their movies. Or maybe it's just Miyazaki. It's Maybe it's, it's him that, that puts all that stuff in there. Well, I'd say it's def- I mean, it's definitely at least Miyazaki. I don't recall that aspect particularly from uh, from Takahata's stuff. Uh, granted, uh, most of Takahata's movies tended to be a lot more serious. Uh, I know they did uh, actually check that. I, they did uh, do a fair bit of uh, that sort of thing in Pompoko, if I recall correctly, and probably a bit in My Neighbors, the Yamadas. Uh, except insofar as you could argue that the entirety of my neighbors, the Yamadas, was you know little bits of business like that. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's the little incidental bits of business that indicates that these guys know how to do that sort of thing. Whereas when you look at uh, you know the, uh, at the risk of throwing shade in a completely other uh, other direction, George Lucas did not get how to do that uh, in the Star Wars prequels. You know, they, you know, where they're going on about, you know, every frame is so completely packed with stuff. Yes, but none <laughs> of it has uh, has any appropriate weight over each other. Whereas when stu- when the little incidental bits of business are going on in uh, in the Ghibli films, it's composed in such a way that you know where to look. Uh, <laughs> Or at least you're looking at the little bit of business when it happens to happen. They're doing it right. It's it, it's it's kind of a wonderful you know, sort of auteur uh, touch, and one of those things that definitely carried over all the way up uh, through uh, through Spirited as, away as well, uh, which I'm I'm sure we'll talk about uh, in in a few moments. Well, I, I actually wanted to say um, I noticed one of those little moments in Spirited Away and made a note of it. Uh, I really liked it. It was just a, a, a longer shot of um, of uh, Sen running up a hill and she trips and then continues running. And it's just a really brief little animation. And it's something that would probably happen in a live action film. Uh, just a little incidental thing that makes the scene more realistic and Miyazaki animates that sort of stuff and that is so cool I agree and I was thinking that through both of these movies I was like you know they didn't need to do that but oh my gosh I'm so glad they did it, it was like a constant it's like the chrome on the 57 Chevy the seven, the car doesn't need it but the car needs it <laughs> um, I did uh, I did like seeing uh, even this early uh their love of nature, natural things, and uh, shunning technology for natural things right there at the forefront of the message. 
um i love that about about ghibli and uh my favorite ghibli personally is uh pompoko it is my absolute favorite out of all of them um yeah uh mostly mostly for that message yeah yeah. that's the one i mean great movie uh not the one i would have guessed um (laughs) (laughs) which would what would you have guessed uh i would have guessed porco rosso (laughs) that's that's yeah that's up there that's definitely up there but no it's pompoco i love those i love those raccoons or things tanuki Tanuki, thank you i couldn't (laughs) i was reaching for the word i was almost there (laughs) they're like raccoons they're like dogs but they aren't either right (laughs) (laughs) well why don't we uh take our break there and uh we'll be right back Next up, we're going to be talking about Spirited Away, uh, Sento Chihiro. Uh, wonderful, wonderful film. This was on your pile, Jane. It absolutely was. It's been on my pile for a few years now. Which is my fault. <laughs> I didn't say that, but yeah, it, sure. It was, it was kind of implicit, but that's... Uh, eh. <laughs> we, lo- we watch a lot of stuff. Stuff gets lost in the shuffle, sometimes for a very long time. <laughs> But now that I've seen it, yes, it was so good. So good. All those little details, all that, just um, the imagination in this movie just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. I mean, it managed to be disgusting and cute. And sometimes things were both disgusting and cute. And I, <laughs> I, I, I loved it. Loved it. It's the mother of all uh, a trip to the hot springs slash, you know, bathhouse animes. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought of it that way. That's great. Well, I mean, uh, the the uh, the set piece uh, right right at the center of the movie. I had forgotten how freaking amazing the scene in the big bath was. Oh uh, yeah, uh, there there was a lot of this movie I had forgotten. You know how amazing it was. So it was, I'm, I was very gratified uh, to uh, see it again. Uh, in uh, I finally got this one on Blu-ray. Uh, the uh, the recent. Uh, you know, big box, uh, Walmart only, at least as far as I know, uh, G kids, uh, special edition with, uh, with a, a fat little booklet and, uh, and a CD soundtrack and all, uh, about all the fixings you can want on, uh, on this. So yeah, good to have, you know, what? I watched, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I watched this on HBO max again. And I also watched this, the dub though. I have seen this, uh, seen this film subtitled, um, we watched it with the dub because we were watching it with the kids again. What the kids think? Oh, the kids loved it. They they thought it was fantastic. They had a grand time. Um, yeah, very. Trey kept very sneaking positive. in as well. He kept. <laughs> we have a theater room with curtains over the one whole wall to you know make it four walls. And every time my son hears something he wants to see, because he, he peeks in right through the curtains. And I'm like, come on and sit down. Come on, <laughs> that wouldn't be cool because it it's something we like. So, but he kept if it's good, he's sneaking peeks. That's for sure. Yeah, we we, we figure uh, his uh, he probably looks at uh, actually joining us as a lose lose situation. You know, either he has to acknowledge that we're cool, or he becomes uncool by liking something we like. Uh. Um, <laughs> you know, no, I but I, 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 
I initially didn't like this movie when I first saw it. Uh, I saw it theatrically. I, when it first came out, it was immediately lauded as Miyazaki's masterpiece. Like, immediately. So, you know, I went in with super high expectations. But I went in, like, looking for a story. And there isn't much of a story. I mean, Nate in his opening pretty much summed it up. A girl's trying to get out of the spirit world. And she works at a... I don't know if you mentioned the bathhouse, but, I mean, that's pretty much the whole story. Um, well, that and her parents are ridiculously dumb. But, yeah, yeah. and she, she's she, not. She needs to raise a curse. She's not. She, she works at a bathhouse to help to, to try and uh, uh, get rid of a curse. But, you know, later watching it, it is... The story's not really the point. There's just so much imagination in every frame. It's, it's stunning how much is in... Every little floor of the bathhouse, just every every little nook and cranny, there's something else going on, and it's just I don't. I'm sure a lot of it's based on like Shinto folklore and stuff like that, but I think I'm sure a lot of it's just purely just stuff that Miyazaki just came up with. And well, as I as I think we've observed uh, occasionally and uh, and uh, certainly on bastards, if not necessarily here, uh, general consensus is that there is probably much, many more than one yokai for every person in Japan. So uh, <laughs> we get to see a very very interesting collection of them uh, in this picture. Uh, the thing, one of the things that struck me on this viewing, because again, it had been an extremely long time since I'd seen it, is how it just gets right into it at the beginning. Uh, almost, uh, it, it reminded me of some of my childhood nightmares. It's just oh, it starts you know, you, out off, it starts out like a horror movie, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, but it launches right into it. I'm uh, still uh, amazed a little bit by how little preamble there is before they get into kind of the meat of the situation. Uh, also, thought it was uh, sort of interesting, and I had kind of forgotten this uh, as well. That at least initially, uh, Chihiro uh, appears as being rather callow, which is not a, uh, a uh, characterization that uh, can very often get uh, leveled against Miyazaki heroines. But, you know, it turns out that, you know, I mean, she's, she's a littler kid than uh, the, you know, adolescents that are very often the, uh, the protagonists of these things. But at the same time, at the first, she seems a little bit whiny. She seems a little bit spoiled. I mean, she's, she, I mean, she's in the middle of a pouting situation, uh, which is you know, perfectly appropriate for a 10 year old. But, you know, she, gets through that first night and she steals herself right up. And I mean, even at the beginning, she has good instincts like, you know, don't eat the fey food. Yeah. I, well, that's what I kept thinking through the whole thing. Everything I was thinking, like, don't drive so fast. Don't go that way to the house. Just turn around. Don't go in that gate. Don't cross yeah. that river. Stop eating the food. <laughs> and I, she kept saying, mom, dad, stop. And they wouldn't listen. And, yeah, got turned into pigs. If you didn't know who made this, if you somehow didn't recognize the incredibly distinctive character designs, you would think this is a horror movie. Those opening scenes mm -hmm. when they're going into the, the through the tunnel, and this is abandoned like carnival type city, or I don't remember what they call it, but uh, yeah. amusement park. Amusement park. He, he yeah. thought it was an abandoned amusement park, which is a further indication of Dad's bad instinct because you never go to abandoned amusement parks. <laughs> <laughs> Something will follow you home <laughs> at best, or keep you there. Abandoned yeah. amusement parks are but are inherently haunted as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, uh, the uh, I I think one of the uh, one of the low key elements of this film, going back to uh, your earlier thoughts about uh, sort of the disparity between the natural world or in this case the spiritual world versus the quote unquote modern or technological world, that dichotomy still I think is running very deeply in this picture. Oh, yeah. uh, the uh, the the folks are well again uh, again a little bit loudish. Uh, they are you know they're they're. Yeah, they're just get, trying to get through that particular day, trying to get done with a move, which I always say is, you know, that is uh, is uh, an unkindness visited upon the unwary anyway. But at the same time, they're definitely being a little bit cloddish, and this is not the time for freaking sightseeing. <laughs> at the same time, you know, if anybody had behaved uh, had behaved reasonably in the very first part of the movie, there wouldn't be a movie. And true. Uh, Oh my goodness! This picture. Um. <laughs> um, has anybody else read about Miyazaki's process, his process of making a film, um, in that he doesn't have like a completed script, nor does the script particularly matter? Apparently, it it starts the story starts to unfold when he does his storyboards, and he just lets the story take itself in the direction it wants to go. And uh, he's apparently made all of his movies like that. And I think you could especially see it in, in this one. And I think it's a wonderful process. I think it, it generates a very unique uh, uh, perspective in, in film. Uh, I would wonder if that was necessarily the case with Cagliostro, but I would... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I... I'm given to understand that uh, the Nausicaa uh, manga, which continued for many, many, many years after they made the movie, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, continued along those uh, those lines and ended up in a very, very different place from the, from the movie itself. But I can definitely see that uh, in this a lot more so than in, in any of his other pictures. There, there is a, a spiraling phantasmagorica or phantasmagoria uh, quality to this picture that isn't really matched even in any of the other Ghibli films that I can think of. Uh, it has a certain shaggy dogness, but it all comes together in the end, which is, you know, especially if he was making it up as he goes along, it, you know, that's, you know, if you can do it that way and do it right, that's how you do that. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually did. I, I kind of noticed that with all his stuff is that it's like, it feels like he's got a beginning and he knows where he's supposed to be kind of in the middle and then, you know, kind of a, a good tie up and then everything else just feels random. And I've noticed that, but I don't mind it. I mean, that's the way our lives work. <laughs> I mean, we're born and then a bunch of stuff happens and then pff, gone. So, you know. <laughs> uh, during the, the parents uh, eating scene, uh, I thought that was a good example of, of Miyazaki animating emotion but into food where with the way they're moving, their fluidity, uh, picking up plates, dropping one, eating one thing, and then just eating another nonstop animation. I love that style mm -hmm. so much. I love the food in Miyazaki's films. The food always Same. looks so good. And there's a ton of food in this. There's a lot of food in Castle in the Sky. I, uh, so Nate and I, when we were in Japan, we saw a film by Miyazaki's son, Goro Miyazaki, which was released here as Tales of Earthsea. And there were no subtitles because we were in Japan and we didn't understand what was going on. But we both left thinking that maybe the movie was bad. And then we found out later <laughs> that it really was. But I remember, I distinctly remember during a scene in that movie, the food not looking good. And I was like, well, this is not up to Miyazaki standards. This movie's going to suck. And then, it, and then it did. But yeah, Miyazaki 
Hayao Miyazaki, the father, the elder, all the food in his his movies looks absolutely delicious. And it's there's clearly a lot of care going into the, animating all that food, even when it's gross, like in the opening scene. I mean, it doesn't look gross initially, but you know, it's. It, I was hungry when I was watching this movie, and when those parents started going to town, I was like, "That stuff looks delicious." <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of overeating in this movie. I mean, like uh, uh, when uh, when No Face uh, ends up uh, getting catered to uh, heavily, and there's you know the ruins of the most extraordinarily uh, extraordinary looking meals uh, just littering uh, his uh, his his uh, 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 bath room <laughs> amongst other things i'm thinking what a mess what a waste <laughs> i like the way everybody chews i mean like i i don't know it, it, it's not just little it, it's the whole face you know because that's what we do but they he animates everything i I, I, just... I cannot think of any dainty eaters in miyazaki movies <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But there doesn't need to be because look at this great food. I mean, you know, they're enjoying it. They're really enjoying it. They're, you know. I'm going to take this ham, which looks amazing. I'm going to put it on a fork and I'm going to take big hunks off of it with my teeth. That's <laughs> that's what I think of when I think of people eating in Miyazaki yeah, I mean, there's a scene in, in a Castle in the Sky where Dola and, and the Dola boys and Pazzo are all eating around a table. And it looks like an eating contest. Like, Pazu looks mad at the food he's eating. They're eating so intently. It's great. <laughs> but at the same time, that stew looked just amazing. I mean, it's like, oh, it's got a little bit of red, so that's probably beef broth with a little bit of tomatoes, and there's probably, like, beef and some onions and some big hunks of potato, and that looks like, so, so good. <laughs> oh, we're going to change this to a cooking podcast. I'm hungry. There we there go. We <laughs> well, I mean, on the bastards, I I actually missed uh, most of this run, but a couple of years back, I think they actually did uh, Miyazaki food brackets uh, one time, <laughs> wow. trying to determine uh, which Miyazaki movie the uh, the uh, the food looked the best in. Either that, or it was food in Miyazaki versus food in something else. I forget which. I think I missed most of that run, but uh, you know, it's we're not the only ones who have observed this phenomenon. I mean, this has got to be the most food in a Miyazaki film, I would think. But it's also the most food that comes back, which is kind of an yeah. extraordinary aspect of uh, of the picture in its own right. Which is, uh, as uh, as Jane suggested, this one is surprisingly viscerally disgusting in a lot of regards, but still manages to keep that jaunty tone to a lot of it. Uh, going to my favorite sequence, I think, in any Miyazaki picture, with the possible exception of the climax of the Castle of Cagliostro, uh, the uh, the scene with uh, the stink demon, or what they think is the stink demon, uh, right at the center of uh, of the picture, and the moment where where Chihiro really comes into her own as you know somebody steely who can get things done. Uh, <laughs> Include, including another one of those wonderfully subtly little animated bits of her getting a quick whiff of the uh, of uh, the stink monster and that whole shiver going from bottom to top through uh, yep. the way that she's animated. Yep. Yeah. Then she I gets, love that. She, then she gets over it and gets to work. But I mean, when they when they uh, she grabs onto the thorn, she gets everybody's help. You know, uh, Yubaba come uh, you know uh, get, uh, comes around to what's actually going on. Everybody starts yanking on it, and a bicycle, 
and they just keep <laughs> pulling and all of this stuff comes out and in uh, just as an evocation of societal decay the actual visual is majestic oh, it, it's so satisfying it's like pulling off a scab or something like a really yeah, big scab it it's, is. It's, it's great to watch it's it's yeah. just an amazing set piece it's i think one of my favorite you feel little feel relieved uh, it's yeah. one of my favorite little bits of business in any animated film i can think of this isn't my favorite my favorite ghibli movie but that's one of my very favorite moments in any in any ghibli movie yeah you get that general sense of relief that the that the river uh spirit did or it, it's just well, that's the old yeah. uh, it's the old lion with the thorn in its paw parable writ large <laughs> <laughs> i also you know love... uh you go, oh, go ahead you go ahead this time Okay, <laughs> I was I was just gonna bring up uh, my favorite character in the entire film, the bird with Yababa's head on it. That <laughs> I think Yababa made made a bird for herself with her own head on it. Yes, and I just think that's wonderful. And I liked what it got transformed into that little the, the tiny. Little... I call, bird. I call it a fly pie or a, or, or a mag fly or something like that. It's, uh, it, it's a little, it, it's a, it's a tiny little bird thing, but it buzzes like an insect. But at the same time, the, uh, I, I, I wonder if the byplay with, uh, with that little thing and bow in rat form, uh, isn't a little homage to Disney's tendency to have little animal side characters doing amusing comic things out in the corner of the frame. I kind of thought of that too. It, yeah. they, it felt like she was getting her uh, Disney companion animals, but that's okay because they were so cute. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Bo the baby as a rat when he was like, you know, pantomiming her squishing the the bug or worm or whatever that they got out of uh, what's his name. Haku, wait, Haku, wait. I think yes, Haku. I, I, that, when he was doing that, that he kind of like cheered. <laughs> it's, oh, uh, so and, cute! And, and of course, and baby and, Bo is your a, a prime example of the disgusting and cute at the same time. So and scary. He's scary. Yeah. To say nothing of uh, uh, shouting out at this point for the welcome re uh, reappearance of the soot sprites, uh, oh, which. Yeah. Uh, you know, starts to make you wonder whether all of this stuff isn't actually, or at least a lot of this stuff isn't actually in the same universe. In my head, canon Spirited Away is the same universe as my as my neighbor Totoro, <laughs> probably. Which I think may may actually be uh, almost. I don't know if it's actual canon, but it feels self evidently true just by the appearance of the soot sprites in both of them. But uh, going back to uh, to Rat Bow, one of the most completely heartwarming uh, moments in the entire movie, the bit right after they visit uh, um, uh, Z Z uh, the twins, Zaniba, uh, 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 you know, at the uh, at uh, the very exit, at the very end as they're leaving, he just you know gives her that little boop on the nose and makes a little you know commensurate boop noise, and it's like, oh, oh, I thought it was a little smoochy. Yeah, it's a little smoochy. Okay, not a boot, but a but a smoochy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's one of the most uh, you know completely adorable moments in uh, in, in as we said suggested a movie that is constantly vacillating weirdly perfectly along a, uh, across a line of being you know cute to threatening to you know comically gross to gross gross. Uh, <laughs> 
the the movie's an extraordinary balance, uh, uh, tonal balancing act, uh, and uh, it's uh, if anything, it's it's aged better than I thought that it would. Uh, I it's it real still really really holds up beautifully in basically every reg- uh, regard I can think of. Yeah, what I love mo- about the bathhouse so much is that despite all the magical stuff going on, there's still like mundane work to be done. Like if you want a bath, you you spend a bath token. There's floors to be scrubbed. There's the little soot sprites have to you know stoke the furnace. Um, I don't know. I, it, it helps. It made me feel a little bit grounded in the world. You know, whereas if there were everyone was just magicking everything away, it would have maybe felt a little little superficial. But I just love that he grounds it in mundane details, which he does in like all of his movies. Yeah, Miyazaki seems to have a real penchant for hard work. He really likes uh, people who who work who work with their hands and work hard in his movies. I've noticed elbow grease. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you you could uh, say I mean Pazu is uh, one of the hardest workers uh, of uh, you know going back to uh, to Laputa. Uh, Pazu is one of the hardest workers uh, that I can think of in any animated movie yeah. as well, with the possible exception of this one, just because everybody really is working their asses off. Uh, well, even even in in uh, Mononoke Hime, um, uh, oh God, I've forgotten the main character's name. Yeah, I was uh, trying to. I was drawing a blank on that to, uh, earlier as well. <laughs> um, I know the girl. He, uh, <laughs> he uh, at one point he jumps in with the uh, with the women who are doing all the hard labor. Oh yeah. Uh, he pulls his sleeves up, jumps in, and starts doing that work, and everybody praises him for it. That's the kind of thing I'm I'm talking about. Like I think Miyazaki really likes uh, likes uh, down to earth labor <laughs> kind of kind of thing. People who are getting stuff done and yeah. doing it their damn selves. Right. I admire that too. I figure you know everybody would. But, you know <laughs> <laughs> it's i don't know go, going to that it's uh one of the few films that i can think of that is a fantasy about a day job <laughs> <laughs> for, for lack of necessarily a more elegant way to put it uh but uh you know you are you are you are into this vast strange spiritual world and it's just you'll be fine if you work if you get a job they can't disappear you <laughs> uh, hey you know that actually i didn't even think about it because that is sort of um what they said that uh, what did they say would happen to her if she didn't work there? Uh, I think she, she would fade just away? they lose their I, form or something. Yeah, or at least the soot sprites do. I mean, I wonder if that's a Japanese thing. You know, they're a, a famously like hardworking culture. I wonder if that's if part of that is their sort of belief in that. I don't know. Yeah, hmm. low key pay into the work ethic. hadn't I had never actually really thought about that uh, previously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could be talking out my ass. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think it's as good a theory I, as any. My, yeah, it's, it's great. My, it's better my, than my knowledge of Japanese culture is mostly from watching anime. <laughs> so. Yeah, and uh, Kurosawa I, movies. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think I find myself in a similar boat. Um, but uh, it, 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 it gels. It, uh, it, it feels correct. <laughs> or it's as, or at the very least, it's as good an explanation as any. Um, 
No, but you I mean, who's... amongst other things that make the work feel seem like it would be interesting. I mean, if nothing, I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's the spirit world and you have to work. But what an amazing place to work. You get to see all of these fascinating people. You get to clean them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you get to figure out what's ailing them and what uh, kind of herbal infusion they want in their bath. The processes in this movie, the the processes of how things are done are, are, are again, fall under the of absolutely extraordinarily extraordinary and beautifully depicted bits of business uh, you know the whole bit about the herbal infusions of the bath I think it's just one of those you know wonderful little details that for most other filmmakers and realistically possibly even for Miyazaki at an earlier point in his career where he didn't quite have the juice that he did when he made this is probably the sort of thing that probably not would have, uh, that probably wouldn't have made it past the first draft. Whereas oh, in yeah. it, it, whereas in this sort of the way that the bathhouse works is if not necessarily the heart of the film, then the brain of the film, it is the neural network. It's the structure that, uh, that uh, everything is kind of built around. That might be a bit of a reach, but yeah, that that's uh, <laughs> some of the uh, voice acting in the dub was fun. Um, John Ratzenberger shows up and uh, gets to not act like John Ratzenberger, which is very rare for him. I think I met him once. Oh yeah, yeah, it was at uh, Dragon Con, and no, wait, it was I, no, I don't remember what it was. I think it was Dragon Con, and I come up to him, he goes. Hi, Jane Bell Castro of, you know, whatever address, address, address. So, you know, I'm like, uh, what? And he's <laughs> like, your envelope, the envelope you're holding. You should never let somebody <laughs> see your address. <laughs> he's like, anybody, anybody here would know where you live and that you're not there right now. He's like, well, you only live a few miles from here, probably, right? And I was like, well, oh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so, cool, dude. <laughs> Good advice from John Ratzenberger. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, another friend of mine uh, met him when she was working in a liquor store, a local liquor store that is actually called Cheers. So... <laughs> <laughs> So that was one of the one of those meta slash glitch in the matrix moments all Everybody over the place. Norm! <laughs> <laughs> uh. Another thing I I love about Miyazaki and uh, and his animation style is his water. His water is I think as luscious as his food. And uh, tears. And, and tears, and, yes. And, the, and, the and, and airships. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those are. St- sort of static i mean they move forward and have propellers but but the water no absolutely the tears and drool you name it whatever it is it's great that, that yeah he's very good at, at liquid yeah i think ponyo has one of my favorite water-based scenes of his it's when the town floods and they're on the boat and you can just see the town below in the water it's almost like they're flying yeah which is, which is great Ponyo, that's where I got the visual of, you know, the ham on a fork. That's specifically where that came from. I had, yeah, I, 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 had, for, I had forgotten about that. <laughs> ham! Uh, <laughs> and I did, so, I did notice the, the scene where Chihiro and Haku are floating through the air. is almost identical to the scene of uh, Shita and uh, Pazu floating through the air in Castle in the Sky, the way they hold, hold hands and, and look at each other's eyes while they're kind of flying through the air. So I guess he I did yeah. not notice that. That's great. I guess he likes that. <laughs> I, I like the air a whole lot better than I like underwater, personally. 
in, in, in <laughs> movies at least. Maybe that's why I love Laputa so much and why I've never seen The Abyss. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got plenty of people falling through the air in Laputa. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I okay. So my favorite uh, uh, Ghibli film was Pompoko. What's everybody else's? I think this might be my favorite. So far. Uh, Sh- Shane's Castle in the Sky. Yeah, yeah I'm Spirited Away is my my favorite right now. I'm right. I'm a basic bitch. It's Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh no, that's fine. <laughs> that's that's fine. wrong with that? I yeah. think I think their best movie, but also in some ways their least characteristic, uh, uh, may actually be Princess Mononoke. But uh, that's that's really. I mean, aside from a few moments here and there, that's one of the ones where they really did get away from uh, the sort of light tone that they have in a lot of the rest of the stuff. Uh, but I I can't deny what an incredibly intense ride that picture was. At the same time, if I had to go for not just the actual Ghiblis, but the proto-Ghiblis, I would have to go with uh, uh, the Castle of Cagliostro. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> I love Lupin the Third aside from loving frickin' Miyazaki. <laughs> <laughs> that should about do it for us at What's on the Pile. Next week, join me and Shane as we discuss some of the current games we're playing, including Bioshock, No Man's Sky, Paper Mario, and God of War. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at What's on the Pile, or visit us at whatsonthepile.com. Thanks for hanging out. <laughs>